Hi everyone, my name is Margarita Laidova and I'm the host of the We The Women podcast. I'm really excited to interview Tiffany Harris today because she is one badass Jewish woman. Tiffany Harris is the new chief program officer for Moish House. And if you know anything about me, you know I love Moish House as an organization. Just like me, she was a resident of Moish House in Washington, DC. And she even sat on Moish House International Board of Directors as the resident representative. Prior to her role at Moisha House, Tiffany worked as a cloud technologist at Amazon Web Services, AWS. And prior to Amazon, Tiffany served as Peace Corps Headquarters Public Affairs Specialist. In short, Tiffany has a ton of different diverse experiences and she's wicked impressive. Tiffany has served on a number of boards and in advisory roles in the Jewish community. She has more than 10 years of international relations and community organizing experience. And in 2020, she actually was placed on the 40 under 40 list by the National Peace Corps Association. In her spare time, she enjoys running, biking around the city, international travel, politics, and of course, podcasts. So let's get started. Tiffany, please tell us about yourself. What do you do and how did you get there? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Margarita, for having me on this. I'm so, so, so excited to be a part of this incredible initiative. So some exciting news. Um, I'm, I think it's the fourth week now of my new role as a chief program officer at an organization called Moisha House. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, we are a global uh, Jewish nonprofit focused on community building. We have over 120 houses around the world and we empower young adults to build the kind of Jewish community they want to see. We have a number of other programs underneath the organization, all incredible. Check it out on the website. I was a participant and a host and a resident and have been involved in a number of years and now very proud to be a part of the organization. And then I would say in my sort of spare time, the few hours, you know, that I have free on the weekend and weekdays, I do quite a bit of organizing in the racial justice space and some political organizing around um, progressive issues done completely outside of work. And then I'm a big like fitness fanatic. So I dedicate at least an hour a day toward uh, physical activity. It's usually running through Rock Creek Park in Washington, DC, where I live. Um, I'm also a bike commuter. So you can find me on my bicycle, you know, if I'm getting to and from places. And in terms of how I got to where I am today, I would say my career path has been non-linear, so to speak. So I spent uh, the beginning of my career in international development. I've worked all over the world. I've worked in the Middle East, in North Africa, in Western Europe. And so I was doing that for a number of years and living overseas. I was working in international development when I moved back over to Washington, DC. So I did my grad studies in Israel, then I moved back over to the States, continued working in international development. After 2016, I left the federal government where I was working and moved over to the private sector. And so from then until now, I was managing a large education program at Amazon focused on building cloud computing skills for global students and educators. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And tell me this, how does someone make the jump from conflict resolution and tech to being a chief program officer at a Jewish nonprofit? It's an interesting jump. It's sort of a zigzag, <laughs> right? So yeah, again, my career path has been very like nonlinear, I like to say. And I like to tell people, and I don't know if this resonates with you, but every company, every organization, 
every program these days is really a tech organization or a tech company or a tech program, like the infrastructure needed to advertise for a program, build it on a website, potentially build an app, all of that falls within the tech world. And when I was working in international development, one of the skill sets that I felt like I needed and wasn't getting enough understanding of was in that space. I saw the incredible growth in the cloud industry. I recognized how it was touching literally everything we do and every application we interface with. I mean, even from like streetlights and smart cars and automatic doors, just the way everything is set up, we're operating in a cloud-based work environment and all of these. And I wanted to gain more skills and understanding in that space. I also do have a bit of a coding background. When I was younger, I used to build like very, very basic uh, web applications and so that's been an interest of mine. And so I decided to make that jump. And I think when I was sort of considering moving over into the tech world, I was really just looking at Amazon, Google, and Facebook, like three companies that I interface with quite a bit, both from a cloud perspective and various applications throughout the day. Facebook less so these days, although you know they did purchase WhatsApp and Instagram and I'm a big user of both of those, but those were companies where I saw like, growth and opportunity and was saying, okay, if I'm going to leave this job and career path that I love, it's going to be for a company that I also really, really love. And I was lucky to get an offer at two of those companies and ultimately decided to go with Amazon because of uh, some of the interesting things they were doing in this space, particularly this role that I took on when I went over there, building out this global education program in cloud computing. I saw it as very similar to a lot of the work I was doing in my role in international development, just essentially in a virtual space. I think that helping folks get the skills needed to succeed in the tech sector is like an important facet of international development that should always be looked at. So that's sort of how I made that jump. And in terms of jumping into the Jewish world, I don't know if I would even a year ago have ever pictured myself working as a Jewish professional. I've always been involved in a lay leader capacity, been involved on the philanthropy side and in a number of different positions, but I, I don't know if I ever saw that in my future, but I will say I had the opportunity to serve on the board for the Jim Joseph Family Foundation. And so I got a kind of a closer look at Jewish organizations and the incredible like work that they're doing and the impact they're having and not just the ones that were in my purview as like a participant or, you know, in like a, you know, lay leader board capacity, but really, really digging down into some of those numbers. I guess I would say like my interest in that area started to grow. I've been involved in Moisture House for a number of years, really love the organization. It's played such an incredible role in my personal and professional life. And so when the opportunity came about, I'm just feel really fortunate that the timing all worked out and that, you know, I was ready in terms of like my professional experience and skill set to take on this role. And so it really just worked out. But had you asked me a year ago, I don't know if I would have said that this is where I would be, but I feel like I'm exactly where I need to be. And I feel so lucky to, to have come to this point. And for those of our listeners who are maybe unsure in their career trajectory or when they should make a change, what do you recommend? What have you learned about pivoting to different industries and spaces? Oh, so this is such a bougie answer. So I hope that like, <laughs> I don't even know how to, I mean, I talked to, I will say one of the things that I did was I talked to, I have an incredible network of Jewish and non-Jewish men and women who I admire their work and their career path and have people who I can bounce ideas off of and I trust their professional advice and sometimes personal advice as well. So I talk to my network 
I asked people for advice. I asked the right people to look at my resume early on when I started thinking about making the jump into the tech world, I started asking around and building my network in that space and really understanding what type of skills I would need to develop and what competencies I would need to develop to be competitive in that space. And there were actually quite a few because yeah, I had like basic coding skills, but I really needed to to show some like interest in learning in that space. So luckily with things like Coursera and like living next to a university, there were ample opportunities for me to to skill up. So I did that. I also hired, and this is the bougie part, but I totally recommend it. I hired a life coach. (laughs) She is incredible. And one of the things I was doing when I was ultimately making the decision to leave Amazon, because in a lot of ways, it's a pretty cushy workplace to like walk away from and you know, in terms of like what the company's doing and salary and stuff like that. But we did um, a lot of exercises around like mapping out my core values or my life coach calls it my core operating system. And I'm driven personally a lot more by the work that I'm doing now in the Jewish space. And I think it speaks much more to building the kind of world that I want to see for future generations. And I think I feel lucky coming from a space where I worked for the U.S. federal government in a pretty high position. And then later at Amazon that I have like a good skill set that I can bring to that space, but it really is much more in line with my, my values and my core operating system. And so working with her to kind of help figure that out really made the decision a lot easier because if I were to just look at other pieces, I might've said, oh, I'm not sure this is such a great fit. But now that I'm here, I'm like, this is fantastic. And it's, it's fast paced, it's entrepreneurial, it's challenging in all the ways that I was looking for. But at the end of the day, you know, every day when I close my laptop, this is how we operate these days. I really feel good about the work that I'm doing and the kind of impact that we're having in the community. And that wasn't something I was always sure of at points in my career path. And so really taking a step back and kind of validating, like, is this the right space? Did I make the right decision? I think is also an important part of that exercise. And every day I'm a little more sure that that that's where I need to be. Thanks for sharing that. And this is very interesting because you are not the first to say to hire a coach. And I highly doubt you will be the last. We have learned on this podcast time and time again that coaches are saviors to people, especially entrepreneurs or very successful women like yourself. Yeah, coaches are saviors. And I think finding peers in the space too, and people to bounce ideas off of, like the group of women who I talk to and you know, you'll encounter so many things in your career where you're like, this is what I'm thinking from your experience. Do you think I'm on the right track? Kind of help me think through some of these things. I think having touch points like that outside your organization, outside your sector, both for the anonymity and just to kind of like pulse check and and source different opinions is so valuable. From a coaching standpoint, I think about like, when I go to the gym and you know, when you get that one minor correction from your trainer and it's like, oh my gosh, that weight feels so much heavier. I'm working so much harder now just with like some minor adjustments and coaching, like from career perspective, from a counseling perspective is exactly the same. It's some behavior changes and some tweaks that make a world of difference. So I highly recommend it. But if folks are in the space where like, they can't take on that cost right now. Like just finding peers and women who you admire and look up to and sourcing ideas from them is also great. Yeah. And I want to dig a little bit deeper because you're somebody that will have really good advice on this. 
So talk to me about navigating male-dominated spaces as a woman. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. So my career, like I came again, like I was saying before, I came from the international development space and that space, it was very interesting. It was largely female identified, you know, dominated. And I don't want to like set our gender back by any means. And I just hope I don't get like dragged for this. But at some points in my career, I'd be like, this is too collaborative. We're too, like, we can't come to like a consensus. Let's just take action and move. But like everyone in the organization was so concerned over getting alignment and buy-in and conversing over decisions that we were making that sometimes I found that a little paralyzing. And then later in my career, uh, working in a fully male dominated space, I really missed. So there's definitely a happy medium in between the two, but you know, I will say that was kind of my experience working in like a very largely female dominated organization, which definitely had its strengths too. Um, the interesting thing I saw there and it's a bit off topic, but was that so many of the women leading the organizations I worked for were in their 50s, 60s and above and unmarried and didn't have children. And it really just spoke to me of like, I have to figure out how to balance my, because that is hopefully in my future, that is you know, a plan I have for my life, but to really be conscious about balancing that and building that in, because that is something I want. And I think it's something that women really struggle with as they grow uh, or continue to grow in their career path. Um, but then later, as we know, I moved into the tech world and yeah, everyone on my team was like a middle-aged guy and the larger team was also largely male dominated. And there were a lot of points throughout my journey where I was asked to schedule meetings, asked to perform tasks that were in a normal situation. I think I would be fine doing, but like sometimes I would, I would get these tasks from like a lateral or a subordinate. <laughs> I was just like, sometimes surprised because I think that you really have to continually assert yourself in these spaces because people's mindset will just switch back to like what they're used to or what, you know, their automatic assumption when they think of a woman in the tech space. And so, you know, I had some tough conversations. I, I said no a lot. I felt like I had to, when I first got there, like the first few days, because I was coming from a totally different work environment, like I always wore a dress and, you know, everyone else was wearing like ripped jeans and cargo shorts and sandals and t-shirts and hoodies. That was kind of the uniform there. And I was like, okay, well, this is like not in my character and I don't feel quite as comfortable, but I'm going to start dressing down. I like took on like what I would say is in some ways, like a more masculine approach to my communication. I had to be like a lot more direct in meetings. I had to speak a little bit differently. I had to be a little bit more, I don't want to say like aggressive in my proposals or like how I communicated or operated, but it was definitely better received than the way I was used to communicating in the international development space, which I think would have come off as highly aggressive in previous environments I worked in. But, you know, I got the results that I needed. I needed to drive teams. I was working, you know, I had a team that was also largely men who were like older and in some ways more senior than I was. And so I think adopting that attitude was really, really helpful for me to like drive results and change and also be seen and heard. 
And I hired a bunch of women and I elevated a bunch of women and I mentored a bunch of women in that space. So I hope that even though I was like taking on this sort of attitude and mindset that was a little bit foreign to me, that it paved the way for others in that space. And it wasn't always entirely comfortable. And there were like some hard conversations and some hard battles fought, but ultimately it was a good thing. And I think too, like it's a good exercise to just get outside your normal routine and the way you're used to doing things and just get comfortable varying your cadences based on your audience. I think you'll always have to think about, okay, who am I speaking to? What's the environment I'm walking into? What are the goals I'm trying to achieve? And how is my overall behavior and what I present going to be the frame around all of that? So I'm happy that I got that experience. It's not the way that I show up um, in my current role at Moisha House, but if at any point I ever need to do that, I have done it before. So I have a roadmap for that, but I would say my work in this organization, it is much, much more gender balanced, um, which is great. And it's something that you know, is very important to our HR department and our CEO and something we're always looking at. So now I'm happy to be working in the medium again, but very also glad that I developed that skill set working in a male dominated environment. And I feel like a lot of navigating a work environment is being able to manage and resolve conflict and you have experience in peace advocacy. So do you think that played a role in how you think through conflict and handle conflict with others? Yeah. The work I did in peace advocacy was in the Middle East and North Africa. And so in so many ways, like the conversations that we had, the situation we were dealing with was so much more volatile than anything else I've ever had to deal with in my career that like, yes, it definitely prepared me and nothing I faced since then has been so heated, so personal, so deep seated in general, there's a roadmap for dealing with, um, conflict in the workplace for like managing egos, for helping to coach and mentor people, helping people work through all of these challenging situations and working with them yourself and asking for help when you need it. And with the situations I encountered in peace advocacy, it was just so much more, complex and heated that I really, I do feel like it prepared me in the sense that I'm like, nothing I faced since then has really kind of, let's say elevated my blood pressure in the same way where I've really felt like, oh my gosh, I don't have like the tools that we need right now. They don't exist yet. (laughs) We can mitigate, but like, I really, it really just prepared me, I think, to face tough situations, both like interpersonal communication, larger global conflict. I mean, it's something that I faced also in the international development space, like conflict and, you know, missed communication and challenges between like my government and the governments we were working with, but it all sort of paled in comparison to working in peace advocacy. So very, very thankful that I had that experience and training early on in my career. And, you know, I worked with the lead negotiator for the Oslo courts when I was in this role. So, I mean, talk about someone who's like a skilled, dedicated uh, negotiator to learn from. I was in my early twenties and like relatively new to the space. I'd had about like three years of international development under my belt at that point and some basic Arabic and Hebrew language skills. (laughs) And he just really helped me kind of take that learning to the next level. But luckily I would say like for things later in my career, both at Amazon. And then when I was with the federal government, like for those types of things, 
you have the ability to lean on like your HR department or your supervisors, or again, sometimes peers in that space. And there's generally a good roadmap for, for navigating that. And I want to pivot a little bit to talk to you about your background and your upbringing. How do you think that being Jewish played a role in your career or your outlook on life? And also, I want to hear about your perspective as a Black Jewish woman. Yeah, so Judaism has played a huge role in my life in terms of giving me a sense of purpose and guidance in the career path I took and some of the other personal choices that I've made in my life. I was always very motivated. I think like so many other Jews or like, you know, young Jews in particular, especially like Gen Z by the concept of tikkun olam, by this charge to make the world a better place, by you know, the Jewish concepts around social justice and equity, loving the stranger, um, everything in pure chaos, like all of that spoke to me so deeply, you know, learning about it as, as a child and a young person, that it made me want to go deeper and, you know, study more in depth. And it really colored some of the actions I took in life. And so it was very much a part of my decision to become a Peace Corps volunteer, to later live in Israel and work in peace advocacy, to again, work in international development, which took me all over the world to volunteer, to give back to our community and to the global community, and then to give financially. You know, the concept of Staka was when I was a kid, it was just like, put a penny in your pushka and save it and give it to someone who needs it or, you know, whatever song we had learned. And luckily, you know, as my continued to grow in my career, I've been able to give more in line with that and make a greater impact. Um, and then I think one of like the most important things to give is time. So, you know, time spent volunteering for organizations or sitting on advisory boards and just being available in whatever capacity to help to help strengthen the community. So that played a really, really huge role both early on in my career and now. And I think in terms of, are you asking about the experience of being like biracial or like how it's shaped my career? Both. So I think, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about this sort of ability to work in various environments, whether it's like male dominated environment, female dominated environment, or like the hybrid experience like I have now. And I think growing up biracial in the Jewish community really helped me sharpen that ability to vary my cadences early on, because the way I operate in my community, like the black community is somewhat different than the way I operate or talk or behave in the Jewish community. Like from the way we communicate with each other, the jokes we have, dancing, food, culture, all of that, it's a little bit different. And so I think being able to shift that depending on the community you're with, it, first of all, it was super helpful when I lived, I lived in a bunch of different countries and you have to be able to like shift that really quickly because you could in one sense be committing a cultural faux pas and it will be like a barrier to like, you know, building relationships in the community you're living in, or, you know, you're at a big meeting with like a government minister and you shake with your left hand and it's super offensive. So being able to pick things up like that pretty quickly and adjust my behaviors, I think it's been so incredibly beneficial. I will say it has not always been an easy road being um, Black in the Jewish community, being a person of color in this country in general. Um, I think that's changing. I think the Jewish community is having some really frank and important conversations around diversity and inclusion and what it means to be welcoming to those who are different. And I think 
you know, that also will hopefully pave the way for all types of Jews who are different, whether it's around LGBTQ inclusion, orientation, uh, you know, we have still have a long way to go, I think, in terms of like inclusion and representation for the Sephardic Jewish community, uh, Bukhari, like as you know about, and just anyone who's different and doesn't fit within that sort of mainstream box that we see in American Jewish culture. So yeah, that's what I'm working toward. It hasn't always been easy, but I think things are changing. I think a lot of organizations and synagogues and movements are really dedicating like the time, effort and resources to re-examining those. Um, but I can't like even tell you like the number of times where, you know, you go into a Jewish space and I've been asked like, what are you doing here? Like, when did you convert? Who are you here with? here's an empty cup of coffee for you to take back to the kitchen. I hope that I'll have those experiences again, though I'm not totally confident things have changed, but yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey, but I will say with all of that, I love being a part of this community. And I think that it really is exciting, these conversations and changes that are happening, because I think that the Jewish community in these spaces will in many ways be like the leader in like shifting policies, practices, conversations around systemic racism in this country. So I'm very much looking forward. And I feel like organizations like Moish House definitely pave the path for that compared to like other more conservative and traditional Jewish organizations. So a quick shout out to Moisha House. They're my fave. <laughs> I mean, I think that it's sort of in the and, you know, like, and not just in the Jewish world, it's like some organizations are a little bit less agile to shifting in that space. I'm very, very thankful to be working for and have been a part of such an agile, forward-thinking Jewish organization. Like, I think experimentation and adaptation is really in the DNA of the entire organization. And so there's like a lot of like interesting work that's happening Um in the DNI space at Moish House in particular. So super, super excited to see what that leads to and how it shapes the community overall. Yeah. You mentioned converting and I have to come back to that. I latched onto that because you are currently navigating an interfaith relationship. What is that like? Is conversion in the future? Like how is that experience? Yeah. So it's still very new. So I have not like broached that conversation yet though. Like that would be that would be wonderful. I'd be like, if that happens, then it means, yay, this was the right relationship <laughs> if we get to that point. But no, it's really interesting because I had like, I think only dated Jewish individuals prior. And I've always felt like, and of course this isn't the case for everybody, but it was like, I had to really force like, Hey, I want to celebrate Shabbat or I want to, you know, this or that is important to me. And was such a, like, it was like pulling teeth to like, get that to happen. Like I know so many Jewish young adults or like guys in particular, in my experience, who are just like not interested in being involved, but they, they want to have a Jewish home or they want to like raise Jewish children, but like they weren't interested in participating in a meaningful way. And I just found that like so strange and such a challenge, but with my, in my current relationship, like every week, like he's like so excited to celebrate Shabbat. Like, I don't know if he like fully like there's so much to like the history and culture and nuance. I don't know if he like fully gets it yet, but he was like totally on board. And it was funny because we were like talking about the high holidays and, you know, I was explaining we're coming up to this period of like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and this and that. And this is how we do it. And he's like, well, like I like get so excited for, I mean, he's not like religious, but he's European. So like Christmas is a big deal, but they're like, 
I don't think I could date someone who was like super Christian for sure. But anyway, Christmas is a big deal for them, but not in the religious, uh, let's say Jesus V sense. But he's like, well, I know how much I love Christmas and you know, that's a big holiday for me. So like, I can't imagine how excited you are for like Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. I'm like, it's a little bit different, but yes, I'm super excited for the holiday season. But yeah, so we had like a really beautiful Rosh Hashanah dinner this year. He bought most of the ingredients, like doing his own research. He said all of the blessings and like, I was pretty impressed because I was like, this sounds almost exactly like I say them. So not that I'm like some kind of expert, but I was like, someone's been practicing and listening to like tapes or whatever. And then, you know, we're going to go, um, we're going to fast on Yom Kippur and we're going to like take a nice walk. Obviously we're not going to services, but he's totally on board. So that just makes me super, super happy. And at some point I realized like me personally, I know for everyone, it's a little bit different, but I don't, I don't think that I need a Jewish partner to, you know, make a Jewish home and raise Jewish children. I want us to be celebrating these holidays and keeping these traditions alive and involving our families. I want my children to go to Jewish, my future children to go to Jewish day school, God willing. But I feel like we're building this like beautiful, home and practice together and yeah and he's and he's not Jewish and I feel like the experience I had in like my previous relationships was like just kind of like the holidays experiencing those together when one partner wasn't fully committed was it was just a very very different experience so that's what it's been like for me and I would say look for that like if if your partner's excited it's also forced me to go deeper in Jews because I'm like we're you know talking about Havdalah and he's like well why do you look at your fingernails and I'm like oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> Let me look that up. Like I realized that there were so many things that I do just because we do them and I didn't really know the meaning behind. So it's also been a really fun exercise of me, like having to like, you know, study and relearn some of these things and understand the why behind them. And it's added like just this whole like fun and interesting lens to it that I'm really, really thankful for. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully things will continue to progress and we'll one day have like these Dutch, American, Jewish, black kids. We'll see. <laughs> but inshallah, as they would say when I lived in the Middle East. This is actually unreal. That's so amazing that you found someone that's so eager and excited about learning about your background. That is truly awesome. And my next question kind of builds on that. It's almost like asked selfishly as I wrestle with this sometimes for someone that is so career oriented. How do you think through finding a partner or prioritizing a relationship? How do you reconcile that? Oh, that's a really great question. And that's something that I have definitely wrestled with in my career and in relationships. In my last relationship, I like made it very, very clear in the beginning. I was like, listen, nothing comes between me and my career. And like, you will always be secondary. And I was just like, I always felt like I just had to, you know, and I know like I live in DC. I know you live on the East coast too. Like so many of my amazing female friends are single and we're just like focused on our careers and we work 10 hours a day and we're like, that's us. And that's how it was for so many years. And I, think, especially in the past year, like kind of taking a step back. And again, like doing this exercise with my career coach about thinking about like my operating system, like my core values and the kind of life I really do want to build for myself. And I think that it's 
just really impossible at some point to go full steam ahead the way you might have been used to or the way you want to or the way your job even demands sometimes and really balance a relationship and family life. You know, I found, and I found this working at Amazon because I realized at some point I was like, Amazon will take, 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 like it will take whatever you are willing to give. Like I could work 12 hours a day, which I did sometimes. I slept in my office sometimes. And like, you will just never be done. Like there will always be more work in almost any organization or company you go to. And it's up to you to decide like where the line is and, you know, to build the systems around that that will support your work. So once I decided that like, hey, my relationship or like finding a partner has to play a bigger role in this, I ultimately, I mean, that was actually part of it too, was like in my decision to switch careers that I was just like, some people can do it. And some, a lot of people do it at Amazon. I was not in a position where like looking at the growth of the program that I was managing and and what the future was and, you know, looking at what else was available in the company. Like I just wasn't confident that I could continue to do that job the way it needed to be done. And manage the things that I care about. So that was part of the switch too, that it wasn't about like working less hours, but really being a part of an organization that, that values and supports that balance. Still find myself working like 10 hours a day. Cause I think that's just a little bit in my nature, but I have taken a step back. And I think it's just up to us to do that exercise and really figure out like how much we're willing to give and where the line is and, and where we want to build in those, you know, systems for our personal lives. And I mean, I've also, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing too, but I've also only dated fellow workaholics. Like, I don't know if I could actually date someone who was like super chill. So I am attracted to like other people who are kind of in that same mindset. And I think it also makes it easier too that like, you know, with my current partner, like we figure out times where, you know, where we want to be offline and when we're not working, we're very present. And I think that's very important to like, put the phone away and just be where you are and kind of designate those separate times. But we both work like really, really late into the night. And sometimes it might be us like sitting on the couch, holding hands, typing with one hand. <laughs> I don't know how romantic a picture this is painting. Welcome to 2020, 2021. But, you know, finding someone who also shares that and, and is building, but at the same time too, and, you know, this might be relevant for some of our listeners, we are also very focused on saving and investing where we can, because we have this vision too, that it's like, there will be a point where we also retire and we want to have like a good setup so that we can really enjoy life again at that point too. So I don't know if that's helpful, but I would say like takeaways are like figure out where you want to draw the line. If you're not in the right place or on the right career path to be able to balance those, start looking elsewhere potentially or seeing where you can build systems in, in your current workplace to support, um, you know, family life and find that balance and find someone who also shares, who also, who's also in line with that, who celebrates you as you want to build your career and celebrates you as a leader. And is also doing the same thing because it's also very, very inspiring to be, you know, in partnership with someone who is in the same space mentally. It's also given me a lot of inspiration too, because I'm like, <laughs> I ask my current partner a lot. He's, he's, really successful in his current career. And I'm like, how would you handle this situation? And sometimes I'm like, okay, what would a white dude do in the boardroom in this situation? <laughs> Trying to channel that, which is a total shift for me, but there's some like cross application there. So yeah. Interesting. 
I really want a picture of you and your boyfriend holding hands while you're typing with the other hand. Like that just needs to, that would go viral. <laughs> oh my gosh. We were doing that last night and I was just like, this is romance. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're both in a really busy work period, but want to build in time for intimacy. So <laughs> do what you have to do. So I have just a couple more questions for you before I read you the questions that were submitted by listeners. The first one, and this is something we haven't talked about at all yet, is your personal brand. And it focuses on a few things, including racial justice work and fitness, wellness. Talk to me about that. How do you even have time for a personal brand? Oh, this is so interesting. A really amazing, I got a shout out to um, Meredith Feynman, the author of the book Brag Better, because she talks a lot about like, yeah, it's exactly what it says, like bragging. <laughs> but not as a blowhard, but in a way that like highlights your skills. So people know what you do, what you're good at, what you're interested in. And I think building your personal brand is part of that. Like people should be able to go to your LinkedIn or your Instagram or whatever, and understand who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about. Um, so I'm a big believer in that and try to try to cultivate that, um, in my own. And Oh my gosh, it's even more important than before because we're doing it all online, right? So like so much of our lives and our networking, like you and I, we've never met in person, but we have this like, you know, you're a thought partner, friendship, working relationship now. And like this exists purely in the online space, right? So like that is really, really important to think about. I definitely recommend her book. I thought I had like a sense of building a personal brand before then. And it, it's really, really helped me a lot. The other piece I would say, and it's so funny that you brought this up because this morning I got a message and I get these like random reach outs, whether like on Instagram or email, I have no idea like how people get my contact information, but it was like for a modeling job and it was like very well paid. And I was asking what the, I was just like, okay, well, what's the, where's it located? What, what are the dates and what is the business? And they were like, oh, it's for, it's a coffee shop by day. Totally down with that. And a hookah lounge by night. And I was just like, no, actually like I, you know, I, I value like health and fitness and X, Y, and Z things. And, you know, even if in my college days, I, you know, love to go to hookah lounge, like promoting the idea of like smoking tobacco is definitely not in my, um, like I was like, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't have pictures of that. And I certainly wouldn't like pursue anything like that professionally. So I think just being conscious of like what you want to put out in the world and what are your values. And I think also thinking about what is your unique offering to the world and everybody has one. So you, for instance, position yourself, as far as I know, from what I see in your online presence as this incredible entrepreneurial Jewish woman who is also very, very tech savvy and runs a very cool podcast. And so figuring out something like that, like what is, what are your unique gifts? What are your interests and your unique offering in this space? And really leading with that. And I think luckily, like there are so many different avenues for us to kind of highlight that, especially in the online space, whether it's through LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. And I think the minute I started being intentional about that, like just a flood of interesting offerings and speaking opportunities and modeling jobs and being asked to serve in an advisory capacity for different things really started flooding in because people just have to know like who you are and what you do and what you're passionate about, what your skills and what your gifts are. And then um, 
people will want to collaborate and work with you and leverage that. So yeah, it's not that time intensive, right? It probably took like just a little bit of time to rewrite my profiles. And then if anything, it helps me make choices about what I say yes and no to, especially in the online space. Like, is this in line with my core beliefs and the kind of brand and, you know, personal brand I'm trying to build? And then if that's a no, then I feel like I have the cover I need to say, say no and, and leave the door open for another opportunity that's better aligned. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay. So this is a question I ask every speaker and I want to ask you, what advice would you give to women dealing with the world as it is today? Oy vey. <laughs> if I'm thinking like women specific and as it sort of touches all of our lives and what feels like the kind of like instability and fragility of this moment we're in. I recently joined the steering committee for Jewish Women for Joe's Young Women's Circle. And, you know, regardless of, you know, your political affiliation for those who are listening to this, I got some really, really interesting advice from a woman named Ann Lewis, who is um, a historian on the suffrage movement. She was the communications director for the Clinton administration. And she's just another badass Jewish woman. And one of the things that we asked during this um, panel that we were running was about like, what's the application for today, for today's women, for Jewish women, for you know emerging organizers and things like that. And she was talking about how the suffragists were really, really focused on what they were trying to achieve. They were trying to get the vote. And so they were focused on what they were trying to achieve. And they were also focused on building coalitions because if you're like, in a minority position or disempowered, like you have to build coalitions to get the job done or achieve the outcome that you want. And so that's the advice I would give to other young women tested and true by the suffragists and also just totally applicable to what we're going through today. I mean, I'm thinking personally, I'm thinking about, you know, this now vacant Supreme Court seat. I'm thinking about the election. I'm thinking about racial justice. I'm thinking about, you know, the kind of worries that I have around these conversations about a Supreme Court justice who is like a Christian woman of faith and what that means for us Jews as a minority in this country and how we will be you know, protected and represented. So all of those, I, I'm taking that lens of be focused on the goals that we want to achieve both in the coming months, in the coming years, and in our lifetimes and build coalitions, build coalitions outside of your own circle, outside of your community and with people who look and think differently from you, both as a strategic standpoint so that you, know, you have advocates, but also I think there's a wealth of knowledge and perspective that comes from that that can only serve you well in your career and in your personal life. Awesome. So let's transition to some of the questions submitted. And these are deep. These are deep questions. So the first question is, have you had experience managing people before? If so, what resources did you lean on to become a good people manager? Oh, yeah. So this is not my first management experience. It just looks a little bit different than what I've had before. So this is my first time managing people who have people underneath them. So managing like senior directors, that's different. Um, there's a wealth of resources I'm leaning on right now. And before a little earlier in my career, when I first started managing 
from interns all the way down to like PhD folks, there are so many good books out there. And if you don't like books, then you can do an audible book or um, a lot of podcasts on management. Also, again, I totally recommend, I had a mentor really early in my career. Uh, She was the chief of staff at Peace Corps and she's gone on to do such awesome things in her career. She was a presidential appointee, amazing woman of color who was balancing the demands of a really, really intense career and family. So I really, I wanted to see, you know, how she does it. And she was also, you know, chief of staff. She was an incredible manager and developer of people. And um, I'm so thankful early on in my career, she gave me, we had like an hour once a week where we just talked about management, about staffing, about structure. That was really helpful. All the while, of course, reading like, you know, Harvard Business Review books on management, the first 90 days, all of that stuff. Um, And where I'm at now, because I have a bit of that training, I recently hired an executive coach. And so we're going to go through like the 360 degree review process and come up with a plan and just really kind of optimize that space. Because even, you know, in my last role, I had like 31 people I was managing, which is crazy. Now that number is much less, but in a different function, like there's still so much that I need to learn and so, so much room to grow in that space. So I'm, I'm still continuing to learn, but I'm really excited to be working with a coach for the next four months. So I would also, I mean, I haven't gone through the process yet, but this recommendation came again from a group of women that I belong to that I just was started asking around, like who's worked with an executive coach. This is what I'm trying to achieve. Who would you recommend? So this woman came to me through that circle. So again, leaning on peers and finding a professional to help. The coach comes back. Yeah. And then hopefully too, it's like, you know, it's going to be like a short period of coaching, learn some things, change some behaviors, develop some habits. And then what I learned there, you know, I hope to impart on my team as well. So the ripple effect of that learning. Okay. So the next question is, how do you have time managing your own brand with your full-time job? Oh, I always like when people ask me these questions, like, how do you have time to do this or that? Like, I think my schedule is like a little imbalanced and I am trying to be less of a workaholic. And I know that's something that you can relate to as well. I mean, the way I balance it is like, I don't know if you know, like, or you experience this, like the busy you are, the more efficient you are with your time. Like sometimes like, you know, in a work situation, it's like, ask the busiest person to do it because they will get it done. They'll get it done quickly. So I feel like I fill my schedule up with things that are meaningful and, you know, work that I'm like, I'm truly passionate about my job and the mission of Moisha House. So it's relatively easy and I have to build in time for exercise that takes about, I I try to do somewhere around like an hour and a half each day. And I probably don't sleep enough, but I also like, I don't watch TV. Like at the end of the day, it's not turning on the TV. That is like such a time suck. And I really just wouldn't have time to, to watch TV anyway. But I think that's probably a big one is just really being intentional about building in, you know, time for relationships, uh, time for exercise, time for your social needs but I don't really engage in some of the, I know there's like a lot of value, like there are great documentaries and movies and TV shows out there. And I just can't participate in conversations about any of them because I don't have time to watch TV. So that's where I've had to cut things out, but just, yeah, just really focused and really intentional. That makes sense. I too do not watch TV anymore. 
yeah, it's like you just, where, where would the time be for that? You know? Okay. The next question is deep. Get ready. It has substance. What do you recommend for people who want to support the black community, black lives matter movement, but have a hard time reconciling that with anti-Israel sentiment of certain black groups? Ooh. Well, I would first say, you know, the black community is not a monolith. Um, and I know the Jewish community, we don't want to be viewed as one either, but it's like anti-Israel sentiment from certain groups is not a blanket agreement from the entire black community. So that is the first one. And I think, you know, making the decision to support black lives as human lives, as lives that are equal to our own, you know, that's a decision you make regardless of anything else that's going on. It's like, do we value our fellow human beings? That's a yes or a no, regardless of all of the other noise that's happening outside of that. So that's probably like the first question I would ask. I think I get so like, it's really interesting because I find when I have this conversation in Jewish groups, like I'm always asked like, well, what about the anti-Israel sentiment? What about Louis Farrakhan? This and that. And the only time I ever hear that stuff or like the most frequently I hear it is in the Jewish community. I'm like, Black folks, like, we're not talking about Louis Farrakhan. <laughs> we're not talking about this, that, and the other. We're talking about like being able to go to the grocery store, being able to walk home, being able to do X, Y, or Z and come home safely. I think that like part of the onus is, and sure, there is certainly a lot of misinformation out there. There are dangerous, you know, stereotypes and colloquialisms that need to be challenged and stood up to. And part of that is on both communities, I would say. Like I am thinking about these, you know, tweets from celebrities that came out in the last few months that were like very, very troubling. But, you know, as we've seen, like those individuals corrected, like their language and their behaviors changed and they're going out there and telling people, correcting people now. So they've become agents of change, which is, is really great. And it's up to us, I think, in that sort of coalition building conversation that we were having to get out there and make friends with people across communities. And then outside of the main concerns that were brought up with this question, I would say like the first avenue to get involved is to to listen, to learn if that's like reading a book, like, you know, or an article and like kind of like educating yourself on like the history of systemic racism and injustice in this country. That's definitely a step, but there are so many incredible NGOs and organizations doing a lot of good work in the space, doing a lot of advocacy and movement. And I would say get involved in that sense. And it is great to have Jewish allies in this movement. And in addition to just the fact that it's the right thing to do, one of the benefits is like when we have Jewish allies in this system, like we're there to tell the story of our people and, you know, to challenge like misinformation that might come up. I have people in the activism space who I worked with in the past who were like very misguided, but like pro, you know, BDS, but they'd never had a conversation with a Jewish person about Israel, or they'd never had been really challenged on these and asked some of the questions they think really start to reshape their beliefs. And so that's another reason to get involved, to, to be a voice and be present in this space. But really like the first question is like, do we value our fellow human being? And if the answer is yes, then you get involved and make your voice heard regardless of what else is happening. That's a very diplomatic way to put it. (laughs) I hope so. I mean, I think 
it's kind of a, it's a heated debate that we're having right now. And I'm, I'm so glad that we're finally having this conversation. And I think people just have to be prepared for like some, you know, uncomfortableness, uh, some uncomfortable truths, but like, I always say like, you know, you're not going to get comfortable till you get uncomfortable. So this is a start. True that. Okay. Well, the last question is more business oriented. It is, how did you know you wanted to make a jump into the nonprofit world? What do you recommend for people passionate about the nonprofit world, but also wanting to make good income? I, again, for me, it was like that exercise of really identifying my core operating system and my values that uh, led me to the decision ultimately to pursue a role in the nonprofit world. And I think for those of us who are able to enter that space, and if like you can bring in experience from other sectors, it's so incredibly valuable. I mean, in all directions, like going from the nonprofit world to the private sector, education to the private sector, government to the nonprofit world, whatever it is, all of that is like a wealth of knowledge and experience that enhances all of those organizations. But so that is one thing that motivated me to do it. I think, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, when life kind of slowed down for a little bit, it certainly ramped back up. But when life started to slow down and my travel stopped, you know, I was like on an airplane, like three times a month, at least before but I really had time to start thinking about what I wanted my life to look like and what kind of, you know, the values that I wanted everything to be driven by that influenced the decision. I think it's a little bit of a misconception about like the salaries in the nonprofit world versus the private sector, because if you, you know, get to a position of leadership in the nonprofit world, they're paid pretty generously. And, you know, one of the things I also learned at the end of the day was like, I was making, you know, more money than like my parents combined had ever made, which isn't a lot still, but like I was making more money than they had ever even dreamed of probably. But I was working, like I said, you know, 10 hours a day, sometimes sleeping in my office. And the most valuable thing you have, the thing you can't make more of is time. So I say like the most important thing is to be spending your time in a career, in a job that you're passionate about. And if you can survive and buy the things you need and invest and save, like everything else will come in due time. But really your time is most valuable. It's more valuable than your salary. I really realized that when I was making this money that I didn't have time to spend also and was just, you know, at certain points, incredibly unhappy and sleep deprived. (laughs) But again, you know, if you build your career up to a certain point um, and then make the transition or make the transition earlier. It, it's a total misconception that those positions aren't well paid. I think a lot of organizations are starting you know, to recognize the need and they, they pay pretty generously. And also there are a lot of tech companies that don't pay well, especially considering the amount of hours you work, a lot of startups that don't pay well. So you really just have to, yeah, you just have to evaluate it on a case by case basis and come in with like a firm salary requirement and be prepared to negotiate. That's a total other conversation, but also something really important for women in the professional space was really, really new for me when I entered the private sector, but yeah, be prepared to negotiate and you might have to take on some of that, like some of those tactics that I talked about from learning in a, in a male dominated work environment, but So far, it's worked in my career. I can't speak to nonprofits, but I can speak to tech startups. They will schmagoo you. So (laughs) they absolutely will. I have (laughs) 
<laughs> I've been like in, you know, high level positions working my butt off for like money that I could barely afford to feed myself. <laughs> but hopefully that's not, you know, that experience doesn't resonate too closely with a lot of our listeners. I hope so too. And with that, those were all of the questions. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, for sharing your story, all of your helpful advice and your experience. Before we say goodbye to our listeners, are there any last thoughts or words you want to share? I am just last words or thoughts. I'm just so excited that this podcast exists, that you're doing it. I think it's such a great resource you know, that you're producing and community that you're building. And I'm really, really excited to, to connect here. And just really, I hope that this is, is valuable for listeners. And I love listening to the other women's stories and, you know, ladies get out there and be ambitious and be driven and find the balance that you need. And I know that, you know, together with that mindset, we're going to make the world such a beautiful, incredible, impactful place. Thanks, Tiffany.